But to be the man, you gotta beat the man. I'm not a bad guy. I'm not a good guy. I'm the guy. And you want some? Come get some. You've tuned in to Wrestling with Ruben. Happy 4th of July to everybody listening right now. It's Ruben J here for Wrestling with Ruben. And what better way to celebrate the 4th of July than doing a podcast with somebody who does enough audio throughout his, his week. Well, one day a week you do audio, but it's like three hours of audio at a time. Uh, please welcome to the show a... What, what's your official title there? A VIP analyst? Is that what Wade calls you? Wade, whatever he calls me. Yeah, I guess uh, I guess that would probably be about it. Yeah. Okay, so he's, he's an audio analyst over at uh, v, uh, the pwtorch.com for the VIP side. Mr. Todd Martin. Todd, welcome to the show. Thanks, Robin. Good to be here. I would say welcome to your show, but it's my show. Uh, I'm going to stop trying to be like Wade Keller. Uh, hopefully Wade listens to this and is like, eh, Todd's better with me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so you're you're in town uh, for, you were in town for the New, New Japan show here in Long Beach. Uh, now you're just hanging out for a couple days until you head out to Vegas. Uh, in a nutshell, what was what, what did you take away from the New Japan show? Uh, what what can they do better? What, what should they do next time here in, in, in the United States? Well, I mean, it's hard to offer a lot of sort of uh, substantive either criticism or or praise in the sense that they did what they did. And I mean, they've sort of got their formula. I mean, the show is what one would expect from a New Japan show. Wrestling centric, a serious um, presentation. The audience there was generally the sort of audience you'd be more apt to see at an MMA show than at a B show. Um, a lot of young guys, um, uh, sort of a traditional sports audience and a... Uh, presentation that focused on the wrestling and on the you know wins and losses and the the personalities more so than a lot of talking a lot of angles things like that i mean it, it has its you know it has its pros and its cons on balance i think it's probably more what a lot of wrestling fans these days are looking for particularly among sort of your core wrestling audience um WWE has sort of drifted into a very, uh, you know, very s- silly at times product and sort of a lighthearted, don't take things seriously approach. And I think a lot of people want a more serious approach from their wrestling. And that's the sort of thing New Japan offers up. Yeah, you know, that's the thing that I like about, about New Japan is that, you know, I, I've seen a couple of shows uh, over the years that's been on Access. And while I don't really know the characters or, or the wrestlers or anything that's going on, I can sit there and like, this is great wrestling. It isn't, you know, I'm not worried about if somebody's going to try to um, psych somebody out in a weird WWE way by doing something weird or stupid. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm not I'm not sitting there wondering how is the promotion going to try to screw this finish up. It's just I, I watch wrestling and I don't have to think about it too much. It's kind of like watching a football game. It doesn't matter if you know the history of that football team. You don't know the win 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 loss record. You're there and you watch decent football or good football or in this case usually good wrestling. Uh, with New Japan now, um, <clears throat> were you surprised that that Cody didn't go that far in the or didn't advance into the tournament? What were your thoughts on on Cody being? Well, I mean, in terms of losing the match to Okada the first yeah. night, um, I mean, no, I mean, I was expecting that that Okada would retain his title, so that was pretty much the way I expected it, it would go. I mean, Okada is the guy that they've been building around, um, and. Cody isn't booked as a regular in New Japan. I mean, I think they're probably going to use him more going forward based on the way they've been presenting him of late. But I mean, he wasn't booked in the G1. Um, he isn't one of their key acts. I, I was expecting 
Okada to retain and to you know continue on his title run for you know eventual another showdown to against uh, against Omega or or Naito or some of the other guys that have bigger names in Japan at this point. Awesome. Now, uh, Sunday night, night two, uh, you said, did you say it was more balanced out or less balanced out than night one? I mean, the way I put it was that it had higher highs and it had lower lows. Um, okay. the, the first night, I thought, sort of built as it went along. I thought that the earlier stuff was, in general, pretty good but not spectacular, and the best matches were towards the end of the show. So it was a good, sort of consistent show with, with high, you know great stuff at the end. Um, night two had... You know, a fair number of stuff that I didn't think was particularly good. I didn't really care for the uh, the the match that um, with with Okada and and Cody and the others in eight man tag. I think it was um, because it was very sort of focused on comedy and sort of not really a lot happened. The Billy Gunn versus uh, Tanahashi match was not very good, and the crowd wasn't really into it. Um, so you had some stuff that wasn't very good, which wasn't really the case in night one. But you also had some stuff that was really good. I mean, both of Ishii's matches were terrific. Um, the match against uh, against Omega at the end was was really good, and uh, I thought there were, the, the Young Bucks match was really good. I mean, I thought that Night Two had some of the more exciting matches of of the uh, of the weekend, but also had some of the worst matches of the weekend. Now, um, are you are you interested to see the way it's presented on on television, or do you kind of figure it'll be the same as what they've they've done on on Access? I've actually watched a, a, a good deal of it, not all of it, um, on the television version, and yeah, I mean, I thought they on balance did a good job in terms of the presentation. Uh, there was a lot of it's hard for me to sort of judge because I heard a lot of the criticism about Jim Ross and, and Josh Barnett before I saw the shows. And so I was sort of aware and colored by that. And so when I watched it, it didn't really strike me as much. So I thought eh, that's no big deal. I thought mm-hmm. on, on balance, they generally did a pretty good job. Um, but I might not have felt the same way if I'd been watching live and the things that jumped out at other people jumped out at me in real time as opposed to hearing about them and then watching it later in sort of the context of a broader show. Well, what, what, what did you hear that? that people were saying about the commentary well jim ross it was was mixing up names here and there they didn't know some of the names of the moves oh, okay. um there ross and barnett um have been taping the one hour shows for access where they'll get notes in advance and they'll know exactly what they're covering and it's just sort of one at a time whereas here you had a four hour live broadcast and you can't go back and reshoot stuff the the lack of well not lack of knowledge but the holes that one ha- one has in knowledge of a product are going to be much more likely to come out in that format than just sort of a one hour tape show that you can go back and edit if you need to. So do you feel like, um, do you feel like being live may have been a mistake for them or do you think the commentary didn't matter that much when it comes to the new Japan? No, I don't don't think it was a mistake. Like I said, I thought that the the unbalanced actually did a good job in spite of like what a lot of the, uh, reaction was. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, um, you know, sort of insulating them from the criticism. Like I think it was it was merited for some of those mistakes, but I just didn't think they they jumped out as much um, to me watching it afterwards. Again, I mean, it's sort of different when you've already heard about it in advance and sort of heard sort of harsh criticism, and you're sort of going, eh, "Well, that wasn't that that big of a deal." Um, but yeah, very cool. So, uh, did you you said you you had a chance to watch Slammiversary? Mm-hmm. I'm still in the process of watching Slammiversary, but I want to get your general thoughts over the product and. And if you have any optimism going into the uh, Global Force Wrestling nonstop action impact, uh, whatever the hell they're going to call themselves over the next <laughs> next six months before they find a better name, optimism um, always a, always a nice sentiment. I I, uh, <laughs> I I like the show. I thought that it came across well, better than a lot of the major shows and a lot of the shows that they've done since the uh, the switchover in the companies. Um, I thought in general the wrestling was good. 
uh, from from top to bottom. They did little bells and whistles here and there to make some of the matches and, and presentations feel uh, more important. There wasn't a lot of bad stuff, I thought, on the card. I thought, in general, most of the matches delivered pretty much exactly what you'd hope for going in. I mean, if, I guess the one exception would probably be the, the Richards and Edwards matches because it was cut so short. But, I mean, other than that, I mean, the, the, the match with, with Joseph Park and... Um, uh, Scott Steiner and, and the announcers I thought came across uh, well I mean they relied on a ton of gimmicks but you know there were some fun cameos there was some amusing comedy it sort of delivered what one would expect same thing with Lashley and, and uh, Del Rio in a different sense and they delivered sort of a uh, um, you know a solid well wrestled main event um, with, with, with Patron taking the title and then you know uh, up and down I mean I, you know I thought Sienna and and, uh, and Rosemary was, was pretty good um uh, I'm forgetting some of the matches earlier on the card off the top of my head, but in general, the 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 wrestling I thought was uh, was good, and the show felt like it had more significance than a lot of the Impact shows, where it sort of feels often like they're just sort of doing stuff, but nobody really is paying that much attention. The opener with LAX was was what I was thinking of. That was also you know a really good match. It was nice going into a TNA show and not worried about whether or not they're actually going to make it to air. And, you know, the last two shows that they put on on pay-per-view, everyone is, you know, I, at least I was refreshing my page, waiting for the press release saying, mm-hmm. you know, Impact Wrestling has closed or whatever form that they want to, you know, say. And the show got canceled, essentially. So it was nice being able to, like, just sit and not be like, eh, the show's going to happen no matter what. You know, it's they're not worried about money this time around. They have Anthem backing them. So I think, and I think for the, <clears throat> excuse me, for the wrestlers, it might have been a good thing for them, too, knowing that, Hey, we're just going out and performing tonight. We don't have to worry if we have jobs tomorrow, if we're going to get a paycheck out of this. We're just going to go out and perform. Uh, one of the things that I felt was really funny and interesting and, and weird all at the same time was the opening segment when they had all the GMs and the presidents of all the different companies that were there. I didn't see the point to that. Did you see a point to that? Is it just me making making a big deal out of nothing, or is it just look like Ed Nordholm and, and those people just trying to puff themselves up? Well, I mean, I think the idea with with Jarrett, with the Global Force thing, has been the idea of sort of bringing in companies from different places and sort of creating a a, a grouping of the different wrestling promotions. And I think that's something that's held appeal for a a lot of wrestling people that are sort of older and go back to the territory days where you sort of had a group of, you know, different promotions from different places sort of cooperating and each of them have their own stars and it sort of makes them feel more important because they're part of a bigger whole. I think I think that's the idea. I mean the whether that has that impact on the audience, I mean probably not so much. Um I I don't view it as a negative, but I also don't think it probably uh, uh, accomplishes a ton, particularly since your partners in it um, you know, Noah and uh, and AAA and Crash, none of them are, are particularly hot right now to where it's sort of like linking yourself up with New Japan like ROH has done, I think has benefited ROH more than um, Impact can potentially benefit, benefit itself with any of those companies. Now, um, last question on Impact. Do you feel like this can create some positive momentum for them or are you just kind of holding your cards and, and waiting to see what happens? Uh, with, with Impact, because it seems like every time Impact's history is always every time they they created some good faith with their their fan base, their audience, they would just turn around, and take that right back, uh, and and screw themselves over in the long run. So, what do you think is uh, in the cards for the long run for Global Force Impact? Can it? Sure. There's always hope. Um, <laughs> is it like to, likely to? I mean, no. I mean, we've we've seen this. Um, for for such a long period of time, Impact just has uh, has struggled to 
uh, gather a lot of momentum. And I think at this point, there's a stigma attached with them and and their efforts that, that's going to hang over things. And they just don't have the same amount of talent that they used to have. You know, for a while, there was an issue that the booking would constantly undermine them, but they had a lot of uh, players there that if they were put in the right uh, positions, they could be very effective. Whereas now, I look at it as sort of a very Ill, a limited show. I, I don't think that um, they have as much talent as ROH, for example. Um, and without the, the talent there, it's going to be very difficult for them to um, move things forward, particularly since I don't think they have a particularly co- compelling vision either. So I thought it was a good show, and I thought it was, um, as we talked about before we started, something that offered up some promise um, given uh, what what uh, impact is producing of late, but is it like are they likely to build much upon that? I mean, I mean, if you look at the history, I think you'd have to be, be pessimistic. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I I definitely wouldn't put any money into the company. You know, if if, if Jeff came to me and said, "Hey, would you invest after the show?" No, I still wouldn't. Uh, and Jeff, I don't have any money, so don't don't come asking me. I have Global Force Gold still. I'm still waiting to get paid from. Um, <laughs> Cool. So, uh, let's talk about WWE for a little bit. Um, I just watched NXT from last week. Uh, did you get a chance to watch the, the Last Woman Standing match? I haven't watched that match yet, no. Okay. So, then we won't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a good match, so I do I do recommend, uh, if you have some downtime over the next couple of days, definitely watch it. I, I, I listened to Wade brag about how good of a show, I don't know why I said brag, uh, praise the, the match, and I went and I watched it right after, and I thought it was it was a phenomenal match. Definitely definitely puts in perspective um, how good um, Asuka is, and Nikki Cross did really good in her role. So um, when you get a chance, watch that and let me know what you think about it, because it was a good match. Uh, Great Balls of Fire uh, this weekend, I believe. Uh, Brock Lesnar, Samoa Joe. What what are your expectations for that? Do you have high expectations, or are you just kind of rolling with it and seeing what happens? Yeah, I have high expectations. I think it. I'm I'm hoping it's going to be a really good match. Um, I I would be surprised if it isn't at least a, a quite good match. Um, given I think Brock's going to be more motivated than some of his matches, and Joe is a tremendous wrestler. They're both tremendous wrestlers. Um, so I mean, sort of the 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 scale to me is whether it's it's a very good match or whether it's sort of a classic match and. I'm hoping for the latter. I mean, it would be nice to have the sort of match where going out, I, I expect Brock to win, but you you would hope that uh, Joe delivers a sort of performance where it says, okay, Joe's a real player going forward as well, and both guys come out stronger. And this sort of match where you've got two people that have been presented very strong, have a big hard-hitting match, is the sort of match where you can have that feel. That's not, that's not always or even often the case with WWE matches where – um, both guys can come out stronger, but I think that's a definite possibility here. Yeah, you know, I, and I'm really surprised on how strongly they've booked Samojo, um, especially against what they seem to be like the only person that they seem to protect nowadays is, is Brock. Um, how are you surprised by how how strong Brock's or uh, uh, Joe's been been booked in this, and and the fact that he was able to essentially choke out Lesnar? Uh, I think it was last week. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was not expecting them to book uh, Joe this strongly, and it's been a pleasant surprise. Now, are you looking forward to any of the other matches on, on Great Balls of Fire? I can't say that name seriously. It's, it just seems like a, a... Anyway, we can rant about that some other time. But um, It's a pretty ridiculous name. Yeah, and it seems like they're not really taking the, the whole show seriously anyway. I mean, we, we got another... I think it's Dean Ambrose versus The Miz. Yeah, another match from that. Um, and I can't think of any other matches off the top of my head. Uh, 
was it Sasha versus Alexa? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that the Sheamus and Cesaro match with the Hardys should be a very good match. I mean, they're going to give that one time, so that could be a potential standout. And I think, I think there's. I think there would be more interest in Enzo and Cass if they hadn't made it so clear that Enzo isn't a threat to anybody over the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still think, in spite of that, it still feels like it's a hotter issue than most WWE pay-per-view issues. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel like it's sort of a, a missed opportunity in the sense that if they had built up um, Enzo better over the last year, I think it could be a really hot program. Um, as it is, I do think it's something that stands out, although not necessarily... Uh, as much as uh, as one might hope, you know, I I, I watched uh, Enzo's promo from Monday night. Uh, actually, last night from Monday night, I watched it last night. So yeah, it's last night. I'm, I'm confused on what day of the week it is because I have a day off in the middle of the week. Um, and I I was really impressed because it seemed like he kind of knocked off the jokes and was taking this a little bit more seriously. And it got me interested in seeing him at least try to defend himself against Big Cass. Um, did you think? Of, did you watch the promo from last night? And what, what did you think about it? I thought that Enzo's delivery was very good as usual. I was not a fan of the content at all. I thought that it was poorly scripted um, in terms of what he was saying. But I thought his delivery was very good. Yeah, at one point he kind of switched over from being, you know normal Enzo into being serious. And that's when I'm like, okay, he, he's he's noticing that he needs to take this a little bit more seriously. I don't know if he switched into that high gear that he probably needed to, and maybe he will eventually get to that, you know, shift in the third gear or whatever the, the phrase is to, to make it seem, you know, maybe if he, they have another match at SummerSlam, he might be able to have a little bit more time to defend himself and build himself up a little bit. Um, do you see this being being a one-off at, at Great Balls of Fire, or do you, do you see it going a little bit further than that? I think it'll go further. I don't necessarily think there will be more one-on-one matches with Enzo and Cass. Um, I could see them doing the deal where uh, Cass sort of beats on Enzo the entire match, and Enzo, through some fluke or someone interfering, um, gets the pin in the end, and then Cass is angry afterwards, and that sets up one more match. Um, But I I think uh, as likely, if not more likely, is just Cass beating him and then somebody else sticking up for Enzo and that sort of continuing the program. You know, they aligned Enzo and Big Show to some degree so i'm expecting at some point enzo to uh to sort of be leading big show to the ring for for a match with cast at some point and uh we'll see where it goes from there now what do you think about um alexa bliss over on on raw how, how do you think she's doing and do you have any expectation for for sasha and, and alexa um not particularly strong expectations i mean sasha's had a lot of good matches over the years but i i don't i don't th- i don't recall uh, Alexa ever having a match that particularly stood out to me in a positive way. Um, she's a she's an excellent personality, um, but as far as in the ring, she hasn't really shown um, she's she's fully developed in that regard yet. So yeah, I'm I'm expecting it'll be pretty good because I mean she she also is an awful um, in the ring and Sasha is quite good, um, but I'm not expecting it to be a standout match at all. It'll be a pleasant surprise if it is. Now with with the women's division in general, both Raw and SmackDown. Um, who do you see still being around in, in five years out of, you know, out of the group that's currently there? Is it Bailey, Sasha, uh, Alexa, Charlotte, Naomi, which I don't think Naomi will be there. Um, Carmella. Who else is? Let's throw Asuka in there. Throw Nikki Cross in there as well. Uh, who, who do you see being, you know, because Trish and Lita were there for a long time and they really set some, some high standards during their time period there. Uh, it would be a shame to see 
some of these women who have been the leaders of the quote unquote women's evolution not be there in five years? It's an interesting question. Um, I would definitely expect Alexa Bliss to still be around in five years because Vince loves her and she's still quite young and she's sort of rising up. Um, I, I, I would definitely expect Charlotte still to be around in five years. I think she's going to have great longevity. I, I would expect Nia Jax to be around for, for quite a while because with her um, her body type, I think that she can be sort of play the monster for a while and doesn't necessarily need to be doing sort of an athletic style um, for longer periods of time. Um, Bailey, Becky Lynch, and uh, um, Sasha, I could all I, – I, I think I'd probably put a better than 50-50 shot on all of them still being around because I think they've all built up their name such and they all really like wrestling that I would expect it. But I could also see, you know, I, I mean, if I, if I had to put them in sort of a group, I would bet that one of them probably isn't around in five years, whether it's because of injuries or whether it's because they decided they just wanted to go raise a family um, or, you know, if they just, uh, uh, you know, had issues and sort of moving down the card or whatnot. So I guess that's sort of how I'd, how I'd handicap it. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push you there a little bit more and see if we can get a name of, of at least one of those girls you think, who do you think would drop off first? Um, and, and I'll tell you my answer right after you, you answer it. Well, I mean, I think that there's always the persistent injury concern with Sasha Banks. So um, with her, I could imagine something happening where she just said, you know, like, maybe this isn't a good idea um, because she tries a lot mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I could see that happening with Bailey. There's, you know, the concern of the fact that she's oriented towards younger girls and, you know, she's not always going to sort of come across as sort of be able to play the girl in her early twenties who's sort of like uh, younger girls. So that that's working against her, but I think she can redefine herself. Um, and then who is the third one we we're talking about? Oh yeah. Becky, Becky. Lynch. Becky, actually, I think would be the most likely of the three to stick around. I don't really see any sort of limitations on her. So, what do you think? I think I think Bailey would be the first one to drop off if, if anybody out of, out of the group, just because I think not that she doesn't love wrestling, she doesn't love what what she's doing, or or that the fans don't love her. I just think that at some point she'll look around and see I'm not being used right here. You know, that that's the biggest thing. I think Becky, even though she hasn't been used. 100% properly over on SmackDown the last six months or so. I, I think there's a lot of upside to her. I think that she's, she's she's a really good worker in the ring. I really have enjoyed her stuff over the year and a half that I've, I've been watching her. Um, and, I, and I think there's a lot more for her to do than Bailey. And I, and I feel like WWE has screwed up Bailey's character so much that I think at some point she might look around and be like, hmm, might be better off in the indies or you know, moving on from, from wrestling. Uh, and, and Sasha, I, I think Sasha has a high high chance, like what you said, uh, waking up one morning and not being able to get out of bed or something and being like, mm, yeah, maybe I should slow this down a little bit. But I think she'll be around uh, longer than, than Bailey. That's And that's my, my two cents. And I'm probably wrong because I usually am about this type of stuff. But that that's kind of my, my take on, on everything. Um, now, who do you think... Do you think when do you think they'll call up Oscar? Because she seems to be somebody who can really light up that women's division, especially if they put her over on on SmackDown with Charlotte. I mean, I would be surprised if she isn't up by next year when they do the call ups post WrestleMania. But given sort of the trajectory of the way things are going, where it sort of feels like she's run out of challenges, and it makes a lot of sense for her to jump up, I wouldn't be surprised if she's up before that. Um, and also because they're bringing in a couple more really excellent wrestlers from Japan who 
uh, are likely to be able to sort of fill up a similar spot on uh, on NXT. So yeah, I I expect her up for sure, as I mentioned, within the next year. Um, well, nothing's for sure, but I, I have a very very high probability of it. And yeah, if it's before the Royal Rumble, I I wouldn't be at all surprised either. Okay, so on on NXT, uh, Bobby Roode, he he's been doing some really good stuff down there. He, he seems. I watched the promo video for for Rude versus um, why I'm, why I'm, uh, Strong, Roderick Strong. I, I don't know why I want to say Austin Aries for some reason. Uh, do you see former them, tag team partners? Is that why? Um, I I don't know indie wrestling that well to to be able to comment on that on, on why I was thinking Austin Aries. Uh, they kind of look similar and like facially. Maybe I should stop talking about that. I'm gonna edit that part out. Hold for edit. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, Robert Rude, do you, do you think WWE will call him to the main roster, or do you think he's in a good spot over in NXT and should stay there? Because that, that's one of the things that a lot of people say is that NXT needs somebody who who kind of is there long term and kind of holds, you know, as a glue that holds things together. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I mean, I can see the arguments both ways. I mean, like you say, they need to keep some people down there to sort of have a certain momentum behind it. Um, but I'm not sure that Rude is necessarily the guy that um, that would carry it that much there, um, because he's been on he's been in, in TNA for such a long period of time that I think the people that are are the most hardcore fans have seen him do a ton of stuff, and so I don't think there's the same excitement level that there is with somebody that's been around for a shorter period of time, and so it feels like you're still sort of learning more about them and in the journey. I feel like Rude is sort of a completed act, and he's in his late 30s. Um, I can see the argument for keeping him around, but if it's my call, I'm I'm moving him up for sure. And who do you who do you see on on either in TNA right now or Ring of Honor or anywhere? Who would you who would you call up to, to NXT next? Who would you try to sign? Um, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of talent out there. I mean, and it depends on who's who's signable. I mean the 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 ones that are are always obvious. I mean, they're going to be after Kenny Omega for you know as long as as, as he's. Uh, He's not in WWE. Um, uh, ditto the Young Bucks. Um, they could they could uh, they could be very valuable. Um, I think Dalton Castle has a lot of a lot of upside, um, and is somebody worth bringing in. Um, I mean, I, I was sort of building towards the one that I think stands out the most to me, and that's Adam Cole. I think Adam Cole is going to be a big star in WWE, um, particularly if they don't. The one thing that concerns me about them is if they stick him in the the quicksand that's the cruiserweight division Mm -hmm. because he's sort of on the cusp between sort of a heavyweight or a junior heavyweight size um if they did that i could see that bringing him down but if they don't i think he's going to be a real hot act in in wwe very soon so um yeah i mean i'd put him right up there with uh with kenny omega and omega is more of a question mark in the sense i don't know if if he necessarily wants to whereas cole i think is, is planning to it's just a matter of time Awesome, awesome. Now, uh, is there anybody uh, who you see in in if if you had to analyze the roster right now and you saw WWE roster by the way, the main roster, and, and you see people like Ziggler um, or uh, Zack Ryder maybe or, or anyone else who you think should go down to NXT and that might be able to boost NXT up a little bit, or or just needs more you know more development on on that level. I mean, they haven't been doing it, so it's sort of weird. And I think at this point, if you started moving people down, 
I think in a lot of cases it would be perceived as a demotion unless they were really sort of stuck in the bottom anyway. So, I mean, I wouldn't really be looking to do it, do that very much. Um, I mean, my, my mentality would be more like, don't call them up in the first place. Like I think, you know, Baron Corbin would have benefited from being in NXT for a longer period of time. So when he came up, he was more developed in the ring. Um, but at this point, I don't think there's any value to moving him back down. And, uh, that's sort of that. That's true for for most of the people that they've called up early. Um, I don't. I don't think there would be a lot of benefit to bringing them down at this point. I think. I think it would be exclusively safe for people that really have just been uh, really undermined in the main roster, like a Dolph Ziggler or a Curtis Axel or Bo Dallas, if you even wanted to make the effort. But frankly, that sort of category of people. Um, I'd I'd be more inclined to just let them go, go to the Indies, and if they're really determined, they can redefine themselves outside of WWE, and we don't have to invest in re- building them up in NXT. We can concentrate on building up younger stars, um, and if they're able to work their way back up, then great, we can re-sign them in a couple of years. What's WWE doing with Finn Balor? I mean, they're just sort of using him in in the in the middle. I, I don't think that they either are um, are. are particularly down on him or particularly high on him i mean they've done enough teasing of him and brock lesnar that they clearly have um their their sights on doing something more with him they just don't have something for him at this time and that happens sometimes i mean this is sort of a random example but i remember bret hart after he lost the uh after he lost the WF title um to, to bob Backlund in 1994 um and diesel was made the champion bret hart was sort of in middling programs with you know guys like John Pierre Lafitte and Hakushi and Jerry Lawler for you know Isaac Yankum for 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 quite a while and I mean these weren't high profile feuds they weren't moving Bret Hart forward but they just sort of kept them at the same level and then they eventually moved him back up I sort of think of you know Finn Balor or, or people like that in a similar light where I don't have any problem with sort of keeping them in place so long as they're not moving down and that's I think one of the negatives of the often talked about 50-50 booking in WWE is that they sort of feel the need to have people on every level of the car trading wins. And if your mentality is trading wins, then when you, when you it's harder to keep people in place because when they're in there with somebody that's lower, it drags them down to a lower level. Whereas if you have the mentality that, okay, these guys are feuding right now, but the higher guy, he's just going to take all the matches, then there's not the same concern. And and that that's where sort of the consideration comes in with Finn Balor and his you know, his feud right now with Will I. Sampson. Like, if if they're having a feud where they're just going to be going back and forth, that's bad for Finn Balor. But if it's just a feud where Sampson, you know, occasionally, you know, does bad things to Finn Balor and Finn Balor comes back and beats him when they have their matches, I don't view that as a negative. That's just sort of keeping him there in his place and then we'll wait for a time when we can move him higher up. Would you have, would you have pushed him hard coming out of his return uh, if you had that, that power or would you have done what, what they've been doing, which is kind of a slow reintroduction of him? Because it seemed like when they called him up to, to Raw, they really pushed him hard, obviously gave him the universal title, uh, but then the injury seemed to really set him back. Yeah, I probably would have done something comparable to what Dead of East done in the sense that they already had a lot of things planned. I don't know that I would have made him one of the focal points, um, given I just didn't feel like they, they were sort of... The, with WrestleMania in particular, they'll be setting things up for a longer period of time. And so, yeah, you can sort of plop someone in there and sort of in the in, in the last minute. But I, I think often it, it won't fit as well and people won't be as into it if you don't sort of build it up. And when Balor came up, they, they had a lot of other foci at that point. I don't, I, I, don't, I don't really view them as making a lot of mistakes with Finn Balor, honestly, even if he's 
not as hot, hot as some people would like him to be. Now, over over on the SmackDown side of things, real quick, uh, do you do you feel like I feel uh, with with Shane McMahon, who, who I, I want to preface by saying I'm a huge fan of Shane generally, um, but the last six months to a year uh, of having Shane around, he seems to be, be calling it in, phoning it in. Uh, do you, do you feel like that hurts the brand having a general manager figure who doesn't seem excited about his own product? Uh, and and if so, uh, do you think it's time for for Shane maybe to move move aside? Well, let me ask you a question in in regards to that. In what sense do you feel like Shane is is, is phoning it in? Well, I just feel like every time he comes out, he's, he doesn't seem excited. Um, every time he talks about a match or something, it just seems kind of like he's going through the motion of of you know I have to be out here, I have to do this, I have to talk about you know it's going to be the biggest match ever or whatever. Um, it just seems like he's very much doesn't isn't as passionate about you know the, the, when he first came back obviously he was very passionate very excited to be there because he was people loved having him back and and he was kind of excited to be there but after his match with undertaker it seemed like every time he came out it was just a what's up insert city name here this is what we're doing here tonight blah 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 not not any real excitement for for the product okay yeah i, I don't i don't view it that way um uh, that's why i was asking because i think Shane hasn't been around for all the television, so I think that sort of adds to the, the, the feeling that you have. But as far as his performances in the camera, I mean, I don't feel like you necessarily want a, a general manager figure. I mean, I think I think he's something else. I think uh, uh, Daniel Bryan's a general manager. He's, he's the, the commissioner, commi- but yeah. Yeah, whatever it's called. Um, I think with authority figures in general, you don't want them to be, at least in my view to have them serve this over-the-top presence. I feel like they should be more just sort of announcing the matches and be sort of a genial figure uh, that, that people like. And I, I, I don't sense that, that Shane is sort of down on anything or not excited. I think, you know, I don't think you want him to sort of overwhelm segments of, you know, like, oh, here comes Shane McMahon and make a big production. I, mean, I think you want to put more of the emphasis on the wrestlers. And I think that's sort of the better philosophy. So I, I don't think that... I don't think Shane's a, a, a negative in that capacity. With that said, I mean, his real beliefs, you know, aside from sort of the way that he comes across on television, I mean, I, I can't imagine he's like terribly, you know, engaged in what's going on. I mean, he's just going out there and delivering a few lines here and there. And, you know, that might be reflected in, in the way he comes across. But um, I, I don't think uh, I don't think it, it really is, is, is much of a negative on anything. I, I much prefer that sort of approach than... The uh, you know the heel authority figure that we've seen so much of over the years. Awesome. Well, hey, I appreciate you coming out today. Um, it's been a pleasure. It's uh, it, it takes a brave man to just show up at someone's house after meeting them once. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, I, I, I yeah. Well, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do I do want to ask you a couple questions about yourself here, and I, I might actually end the, end up editing this to the front of the show. That's um, fine, whatever you want to do. Yeah, tell me, tell me about how you you got into reporting and and, and reviewing and analyzing professional wrestling because that's always the most interesting part I think of people who do analyze wrestling is how they decided to one day open up a computer or pull out a typewriter depending on how old you are and and start writing a report and then analyzing it. How did you get into it? Well, when I was um, a teenager, I started subscribing to um, the Insider publications. Um, and I would write letters to the Wrestling Observer Newsletter that Dave Meltzer publishes. Um, and as that uh, turned into the Internet, I would send him letters about this and that. And at one point he said, hey, you know, could you come 
uh, write for the for the website. And so I said, sure. And so I started doing columns in 2001, 2002, around there when I was in college, um, and then transitioned into doing raw reports. And so I was writing up raw reports for uh, years and years, uh, sort of giving analysis of what was going on there. And then that sort of morphed into doing audio shows um, over on the Observer site. And then, uh, yeah, I joined, uh, joined Wade at, at the torch and, uh, kept doing them there. Um, and sort of, I, I'd sort of been doing MMA stuff as well as sort of a side that sort of, ter- sort of morphed out of it, um, as well. So that was, a, that was a big part of it. Um, as MMA blew up because I was in Los Angeles when, uh, MMA was sort of exploding the pay-per-view boom of 2006 into 2007. And at that point there wasn't a lot of, uh, a lot of press that was uh, knowledgeable about MMA. So there were doors that were open there, given that there was a lot of stuff that happened there, press conferences and, and media events in, in Los Angeles. And so that sort of opened up doors as well um, from sort of the more, quote-unquote, main mainstream uh, side of things on the MMA side, which I think, you know, gave added cachet for the pro wrestling stuff. Now, um, well, I don't know if people know this about you, but you're, you're, you're an attorney by, by trade. Is this? Did you when when you were when you became an attorney? Did you think that you'd be writing for all these different publications, you know, long term and, and being a part of it, or is this something that you you planned out and and you know like you saw I want to continue to do this even with my my normal Monday through Friday nine to five or whatever job that I have because it's always interesting to hear people like Bruce Mitchell he's a teacher you know and I'm like what, what is a teacher doing you know writing about wrestling uh, which but yeah anyway. What, what, it was always just a side hobby. I mean, okay. I always tried to, you know, uh, and, and that's not always the case. With a lot of people, particularly on the MMA side now, um, it's, you know, people that went to journalism school or whatnot, but I mean, it was just something I, I, you know, I, I did when I was younger, just like I do acting or debate or, you know, other sort of ways to fill up one's time. Um, and I was doing the, the writing before I entered law school. That was why I was in Los Angeles was for, for law school. So, um, given that I was doing that stuff at the same time, I was also um, preparing for the for the legal career. It was always likely that I'd continue doing it, and it was just sort of more a question of being able to to balance the time because I knew I wanted to do more writing um, co- to continue writing, not necessarily more in the sense of uh, increasing the amount that I was doing. Um, and so it was just sort of getting into a rhythm where you could do that and also not have to worry about that entering into any anything else because I. I never, I mean, who knows what the, what the future holds? But I never thought that there was going to be um, enough money in the, in the writing to make it seem like a good idea to 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 do that at the at, while forsaking doing legal work. You got to pay your bills and put food on the table, right? It's a it's a darn shame um, <laughs> that, that that's the case. But yes, for for now that that's the case. We'll we'll see how things go when everything becomes automated and uh, and the government pays everyone a. Uh, a, uh, a, a living wage as uh, as part of being a citizen. Unfortunately, I think we're going to be dead when that happens. But I think it's I think it's coming um, after we're dead. <laughs> yeah, you know, talking about the universal basic income thing that mm-hmm. that's becoming a, a popular platform concept. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk politics? <laughs> no, let's, no let's, let's, let's not. I think this is a good point to end. Uh, Todd, not that I don't have uh, opinions, but I feel like people generally don't want to hear them in the context of uh, of, of wrestling. Of some, yeah. yeah, exactly. Even if they agree with you, I find that like like I find because that was actually a mistake I made like years back, where like I would little 
introduce little things and you know like even i find like even if you agree with someone like why why turn off why turn off the uh the other people that that, that don't agree if it's not really pertinent to what's going on um you know if it is pertinent then it's pertinent at that point that sort of stuff comes in yeah, so so with that, you and Wade need to stop talking about football and baseball and basketball <laughs> and all the other stuff that you guys talk about on the show. I sit there for like ten minutes while you're talking about about hockey, and I'm just like, I don't know what they're talking about. Oh well, well, that that's on you. You need to follow <laughs> hockey more, like clearly. Um, but yes, I I feel like that's not quite as as polarized yeah, in yeah, terms of no. uh, in terms of one one's opinion as much as I. Well, I shouldn't even say that necessarily because like if I listen to a uh, pro wrestling podcast and they're constantly talking about how much they love the Pittsburgh Penguins, I I would probably stop listening to said podcast. So um, there <laughs> there is that. I you know speaking of which, I do want to address one thing with you. Uh, last week on on the fix. You went off on the people of Los Angeles uh, about the terrible, terrible people. How <laughs> dare they be so disrespectful to LeVar Ball? I'm still angry about that. Go ahead. <laughs> well, that's I just wanted to give you a chance to address that again uh, and see if you wanted to clarify any of your comments. Um, you know, basically, what I want to know is do you hate Los Angeles or just people that were at the Staples Center that night? The people that were at the Staples, I love Los Angeles. Um, and Los Angeles loves me, but I, I you know, not anymore. <laughs> no, that's not that's not true. People, people, the the, the smart people understand. It was, <laughs> look, I mean, the, the Lonzo Ball is coming in here. He's out of the goodness of his heart. He's going to save this godforsaken franchise that's been just struggling um, in, in recent years since the the, the Kobe and Pau Gasol years. Um, and they 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 greet this man with with disrespect and his father. Come on now, you, they, UCLA, fine UCLA folks um, coming to play in Los Angeles, and, and you get a negative reaction from the crowd. It was it was terribly disrespectful. I'm, I'm still I'm still agitated about that. UCLA Bruins deserve better. Um, you know, I'd, I'd expect that at, at the Galen Center, but not at the Staples Center. Oh, you know, I'm trying to see. I, ha- I usually have a, a, a Trojan thing. Oh yeah, right up there, Trojan Drive. Uh, ah! <laughs> uh, th- thank, thank God I only saw it now. I would have I would have left before we started the interview. I'm going to take that down right now. Oh, it's easy. Oh gosh, Todd, please let's uh, don't break it at least. Uh, Todd, I appreciate your time. Uh, last question for you here. Absolutely, last question. Favorite wrestler of all time? Oh, I, I don't know. I mean, I I've really for a while haven't really thought in terms of like if it's not Shawn Michaels, you can leave. <laughs> I I I have always been a big fan of of Shawn Michaels, and I, I you know I was a, a an advocate of of his for uh, for a great many years um, during uh, periods when there were a lot of people that were down on him and in his legacy. So yeah, I think I think very highly of uh, of Shawn Michaels. But um, I mean, there's so many people that have been really talented over the years, and uh, yeah, I, I haven't really for a while sort of viewed it in terms of sort of favorites and not favorites. Um, more so, just sort of appreciating the people that I think are more talented. Um, you know, I haven't I haven't really found myself sort of rooting for pro wrestlers too. Um, well, I mean, beyond like having professional success, like particularly guys that are sort of working their way up. So you see them on independent scene; they have a lot of talent. You don't necessarily think they're going to go that that far. I root for those people to do well over time. But um, once they make it to a high level, you know, I just want a good show. You know, regardless of of who that means uh, featuring. So the the best shows were the ones with Shawn Michaels uh, headlining, which they haven't been a good show in f- six years since he retired. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's been longer than that now. Yeah. yeah it's 10 years. No, it hasn't been 10 years yet. But it's been maybe eight, something like that. Yeah. It's been a I while. Mean, yeah. Shawn was a, was a, a tremendous talent. And, uh, 
yeah, I mean, in the ring and and, and on the mic, um, he was a he was a special talent. So when well, was, he wasn't goofing around on the mic, he was he was good. You know? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, what period are, are you talking about? When you say Ma- mainly the last couple DX runs is is really when I I found him the most uh, annoyingly entertaining because it was still entertaining. It just wasn't what I want. Like, what was it? Wasn't what I was hoping for. Uh, with with that, I mean, I think his best, one of his best promos was with during the Undertaker feud, the first one where they were doing the Heaven and Hell thing, which I thought was really good. Um, so so Sean was great. I always thought he was great, and I I loved him back in two thousand before I really knew who he was, and I played a video game as Shawn Michaels, and I'm like, I love this guy, and then he came back like two years later, and I was really excited. So. Um, yeah, it was a shame when he uh, when he retired the first time because he was right on top of his game mm-hmm. when that happened, and, uh, and that was right I, before I started watching too. Yeah, I mean, I, one of the, the matches I remember most fondly that I've been at was the uh, the return match at, at SummerSlam 2002 in New York because I was going to school at that point, so I went down to uh, to Nassau for for the match. And going into that match, like there was a lot of concern because it wasn't known how hurt Sean was. So like when you did this match, it was sort of I mean, it sort of worked on two levels. One, it was sort of dramatic as to hoping that everything would be okay with him. But on the other line, uh, the other hand, it was dramatic in the sense of, wow, he's really turning in this great match. When you had this, you know, vintage Michael Cole, Shawn Michaels performance um, that you wouldn't necessarily expect. And it announced that, hey, you're going to have, he's going to have this another, you know, really successful run. It was, it was a really pleasant surprise for the people that had been, you know, hoping that at some point he might be able to come, uh, come back, but, but weren't expecting it. I, I want to ask you one more question. Sure. I said it was the last question with that. Uh, were you? Ex- I, I, I would. I would expect nothing less than lies from someone with Trojans <laughs> Drive in their in their room. Oh man, I, I owe you lunch now for that one, huh? <laughs> um, were, were you Were you surprised to see Sean stick around for those eight additional years or eight nine years or whatever it was um, after after that SummerSlam match or? I mean, I mean, because it seemed like that seemed to be the thing that everyone talked about once he retired was, wow, we never expected him to go another eight years uh, after that retirement match. Yeah, I don't think anyone was expecting it. I was certainly no expe- uh, exception. It was uh, it was surprising that uh, it lasted that long and that he has sort of essentially morphed into being a full time performer because for a while it was sort of a match here and there. And, you know, it, it morphed into, uh, uh, you know, another very successful run. I mean, you can argue that his his second one was more successful than the first run, um, yeah. which you know, is, is, is pretty striking given the, uh, the the state of his back in, in 1998. Well, even even though he only won one world title during that time period too, you know, his return, you know, and, but I think his, I think people, for him, I think it was more important for him to have great WrestleMania matches and just be a great performer year-round than it was to ever win a championship because I'm pretty sure he could have easily gone in and said, I want one title every four years or whatever, you know. Um, it was a really interesting time period. There are some guys that don't need the title, and, and Shawn Michaels at that stage of his career didn't need the title at all. Yeah, so, sure. You know, some some guys it it sort of helps them, and and sort of the perception of them. But Shawn Michaels was rarely that guy. Um, you know, similar to similar to well, I wouldn't say similar to Undertaker because they I think they're in that category for different reasons. But the 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 bottom line I think is similar for both of them. Awesome. Well, I'm gonna end here now uh, since we were able to talk about Shawn Michaels. Uh, Todd, where can people follow you on on social media? Um, Todd Marin MMA is uh, is the Twitter handle. So yeah, that's probably the best place to uh, to follow my thoughts on uh, on wrestling and uh, MMA. 
Awesome. Well, Todd, I, I look forward to hopefully one day being able to hijack your show. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, it's been a pleasure.